Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, the only podcast dedicated to selective mutism. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Anne, Chelsea's mom. And we're going to be doing a part two of answering your questions today. First, we're going to read some reviews that we got. Okay, I'll read the first one. So the first one was actually from a listener in Great Britain. Um, She says, I loved episode five. I have a daughter with SM who is six years old, and this episode was so interesting to listen to. Chelsea, you are inspiring. Thanks both of you for what you are doing. So that was great. That's so nice. Yeah, it was awesome. She called me inspiring. (laughs) And there's another one? Yep, the other one is from Belgium. Love the way topics are brought very real and recognizable. So thank you so much for leaving reviews. If you haven't already, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Yeah, we had a um, great week and I think, you know, I just want to thank everybody for sharing and liking and reviewing the podcast. So we actually were contacted by another podcaster who's actually a clinical psychologist and wanted to interview us for her podcast. So that was kind of neat to do. I guess we'll give you more information as it's getting closer to time for her to post that. So that was cool. Yeah, we're excited for that. So let's look at our first question. It is how to handle strangers who don't understand selective mutism. I think this is hard because you can't really control people you don't know. Like you can't inform them ahead of time. So I would say you should come up with a response that you're comfortable with saying and maybe even practice it so you are ready to give an explanation you could even make out cards that give a little like one-liner about what selective mutism is and you could just hand it over and it helps spread awareness as well yeah i know when you were little and we'd um just out shopping or getting groceries and people would approach you you would cover your face people would say oh she's shy you know i think in the beginning i didn't because i didn't know the difference either we just kind of oh yeah, you know, she's shy, whatever, moved on. But I think you're right. Having a pre-rehearsed, just a quick, you don't have to go into detail, just a quick, some mm-hmm. sort of explanation. Say so maybe she's working on it. Yeah, I wouldn't use a label like no. she's shy or she has select mutism or... I'd say you give them a chance, to, you give your child a chance to respond because you're working on that. And then if it's not going to happen, I would just say that it's something you're working on and you don't really owe them anything else. I don't think you need to go into detail about anything. Right. And I just I wouldn't I wouldn't use a label. I would don't say he's shy or he has selective mutism or Right, because right. you're saying it right in front of your child. child. So you don't want to be labeling that. But somehow as a mom, I know that feeling cuz you feel it obligated feels, to say yeah. something, but my my big thing would be not to say not to use a label Mm -hmm. because the child's there and they're hearing you and then they're identified with that. Yeah. So the next question we received is, was therapy helpful? What do you think for you? I think it was, yeah. I mean, it led to getting medication, of course, and it led to like creating goals and meeting them and doing sticker charts. I think without that, there's like not a lot of direction for parents on how to handle it so I think that gave us more clear like goals right I almost think you know therapy you know is equally important for the child and the parent Mm -hmm. I mean it she would start off with both both of us in the room together just sort of you know recouping recalling uh, summarizing how the week had gone and then the parents or myself would leave the room and then she would have therapy with Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I think it was good. And it also was an outlet for you 
to have somebody to talk to or just interact. And then it kind of helps parenting just to give you a place to, to talk, to verbalize, to uh, share it with somebody because there's no other parents or I didn't know any other parents that had a child with selective mm -hmm. mutism. And it also gives you the goals to work on for the following week or at least somebody to talk about the goals because um, we tweaked our sticker chart every week but it was just good to bounce it off another person and you know get some professional input. Mm -hmm. I just want to say again that therapy is a very broad word and I think it's super important to find an evidence-based therapy which is behavioral is the number one um, evidence-based treatment for selective mutism so you want to be working on meeting goals and reinforcing successes and I would just be careful to find a therapist that has experience with selective mutism or at least with anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Selective <laughs> mutism, if you can find somebody, if not, then childhood anxiety. Like, I don't know if we had just solely done it on our own, I think it would have been much slower progress. Yeah. And I don't know if I could have done it as a parent just by looking on the internet and doing it myself. Right. So... I'd say definitely, definitely helpful. Okay, so the question is how to get my six-year-old to say hello or at least wave hello and say thank you and goodbye. Mm -hmm. So these are often some of the hardest things for selective mutism, these like routine um, expected responses that you're supposed to have. And I think you should start with waving. If she's not even waving, you start very small. Like eye contact maybe. Yeah, even like... A smile or <laughs> if that's too hard but you want to write down these goals I would say and take data on it you want to know how often it's happening and you want to see the progress and I would say every time like if you're doing a sticker chart you get your sticker for each time you wave mm -hmm. a certain amount of stickers they get some kind of prize yeah I mean I remember well Chelsea we dropped her off and it was like they had a pickup line so you the child the teacher opened the car door the child got out so for Chelsea, that you know, I remember having that on your sticker chart to say good morning back because mm -hmm. the teacher would always say good morning Chelsea, and there was silence and you just hop out and go. We did, you know, we did have it on the sticker chart, and I think uh, you, you know you need to break it down because you're not just going to jump right to the verbal. Um, so I think we started with even eye contact, mm -hmm. like if you looked at the teacher in the face or you looked at her face, that was a sticker. Um, you know, and if you got whatever the amount was, three stickers that week. You got the, you know, you got your stickers and then we totaled them up at the end of the week and for a prize. But start small. So it can be something, you know, just looking at the teacher's face, um, maybe Great. nodding your head in acknowledgement of the teacher saying hello. Mm -hmm. And um, you can gradually increase it. So I would say once they're meeting that goal, like every day or most of the time, you can move up to waving. Right. And once they meet that goal, you move up to the verbal stuff. You right. need to start it slow. So we did week by week charts. Yeah. So um, say you get like three out of five stickers, then that goal would be changed. So the following week we would up it. Just stick with it until that's accomplished. I guess one thing I think that's important to say is I wouldn't ask Chelsea, you know, were you able to do this? I would just hand her the stickers and say, go put your stickers on the sticker chart or we would do it together. But it wasn't like I never doubted her. If she said she did it, she got the sticker. Um, because in her mind, if she thought she did it, that was good enough. I don't believe that. You don't agree with that? No. Well, you, you were a, you're hurting my behavior analyst heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a rule I, it follower. It has to be. 
I know, but it's not going to work that way for every kid. Well, I suppose every kid's probably different, but you And were... if I really want that prize, I'm probably going to lie. Oh, you, wait, well, you would never lie when you were little. I don't know. You were a rule follower. You were, um... I'm very about observable behavior. You need to see it to believe it. <laughs> okay, well, we differ on that because I, I never wanted to challenge you or fight with you because I never want you to say, felt that you did it and I didn't catch it. Um, so if you felt you did it in your heart, I wanted you to have the reward. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Is it typical for selective mutism kids to not show affection or be uncomfortable? I say yes. I agree. (laughs) We've talked about this before. Um, Affection is obviously a type of attention, and I think for selective mutism kids, it is aversive in some way. I think certain kinds of affection can be um, better than others. I remember Chelsea, when we would, if I'd kiss her on the cheek, or dad would kiss her, she would wipe it off. Well, that was probably sensory, too. <laughs> sensory and attention, because I didn't like the feeling, and I didn't want the attention. Yeah, I think you said we spit on you. It was spitty. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're saying it was spitty. Nasty. We'd say, why are you wiping it off? But yeah, it was always difficult for you to accept either praise or affection. Yeah. And I, I guess now, looking back, it was probably just the attention on you, putting mm-hmm. the attention on you. You didn't want any attention. Yep. You wanted it to just go by without anybody recognizing um, that you had done something that we were praising you for. Yeah, I think with selective mutism, if you do something that is outside your comfort zone, you don't need the additional praise because it is inherently um, reinforcing. Like, you're just proud of yourself mm. for doing it. You don't need people drawing attention to it. But I think for us, we kept doing it. We kept praising you anyway because we wanted, like, self-esteem. I just thought it was important to give positive reinforcement so we just did it anyway even though you felt uncomfortable with it and didn't like it and it's not reinforcing hmm you think it's reinforcing but it's not okay that's a different take on it but what i think is maybe you desensitize me to it by continuing to do it Mm. i don't think it built self-esteem because i didn't like it hmm Interesting. Okay. (laughs) And I think, you know, there are other ways of showing affection that we don't usually... Right. Right. Rather than hugging, because you never liked hugging. You would never hug back. You just, you allowed us to hug you. And maybe one-on-one it's different. Like, if you're praising someone in front of a bunch of other people, it might be more aversive than if you, when you're alone, like at bedtime, saying, I was really proud of you. Right. That was always, right. I was just going to say that too, because I think that was our like special time. So, and I don't know if it's because the lights were out, um, but right. Tucking you in, that's when we'd always have our talk. I'd always kiss you on the forehead, say good night. And I felt like you liked it then, like you liked the attention and you liked that special time that we had together. Mm -hmm. But during the day, right. You didn't want anyone holding your hand even. No. Or. I think part of that's sensory too, the sensory processing. It's yeah. funny, I actually was just reading um, this thing in my room that I found, and it's a, something that I wrote about um, why I'm grateful for my mom or something. <laughs> and one of them was, I like when you cuddle with me and Karina, my cat. Hmm, funny. I was like, that's funny, because we were just talking about how I didn't yeah. like cuddling. Yeah, funny. But I wrote that down. Maybe it was epic. Um, but sometimes, too, I think, you know, maybe not hugging and all that, but just... Um, I think we used to read together, like on the sofas, you know, saying, you know, just sitting near each other, like, yeah, for I think closeness. You or have whatever. to figure out what your kid is comfortable with, and right, 
people like affection in different ways. Everyone does. That's true, yeah. But it's tough when your normal means are hugging, kissing, right. patting, you know, and if someone doesn't like that stuff, you you don't really know to be creative in other ways. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's typical for selective mutism. Yeah. Kids, yeah. In, our, in my experience, yeah. So our last question is, once a person becomes contaminated, is it likely that my child will never speak to them again? So this is about a child's therapist that she's been seeing for a year, and she still is not speaking to her, but it says she enjoys going to see her. So she's wondering if they should continue seeing this therapist. And I, I think it depends on what they're working on in therapy. It sounds like she communicates non-verbally, so I would say if she has rapport with that therapist, I would start challenging her a bit. I think gradually you can work towards verbal communication and try to fade out those nonverbal communications. What do you think? Um, I think the fact that the that the child likes to go to the therapist, that to me is a win-win. Yeah, um, I wouldn't even call that contaminated if she likes yeah. going. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about her. Well, I would worry about her not speaking yet. But the fact that she likes to go is a positive. So that means she likes the person, I would assume. So I just think maybe she needs to step it up, um, switch it up a little bit, right? Like you said, maybe fade it out. Something has, something, they're kind of at a roadblock and I think it has to, something's got to change there, whether it's higher goals, harder goals, tweaking the therapy. Um, I mean, it's great that she likes her in that, but it seems like they need to step it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if they're being productive in that therapy um, by making goals and maybe she's being successful outside of that room, I think that's still uh, valuable. Mm-hmm. And then there's the next part to the question. Or... So she's seeing a speech therapist and she was verbal after only three sessions. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this therapist had experience with selective mutism. So it just goes to show if you know how to work with kids with selective mutism, you can be very successful. Yeah, and this kind of, for me, made me think if after three sessions she can be verbal with the um, speech therapist, Mm -hmm. that there's hope for her talking to the regular therapist, Mm -hmm. especially if she likes to go. That was so key to me that she likes to go. And she probably trusts that therapist to the point where she could challenge her and it wouldn't be a big deal. Right, as long as she, right, if she's liking her, she's going to want to please her. Mm -hmm. So I think the therapist just needs to put more pressure on. Yeah. We could address that question in another way and say that if someone really was contaminated, like say your daughter didn't like the therapist and didn't trust them and felt like something went wrong at some point where she felt like she can't talk to her, I I think it's a lot harder to break that cycle, but I not to say it's impossible, but I do think mm-hmm. it's a lot harder. Yeah, I think if with you anyway, if you didn't like somebody... It was almost like, forget it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, years later, you, as you saw, as you grew and saw things differently, you would talk, maybe talk to those people. But if you didn't like someone, they, they just we just moved over that, mm-hmm. moved on. And <laughs> I just want to clarify that if I, the reasons I didn't like someone were usually because they said something at some point that made me uncomfortable or they called me shy. That was usually a trigger. So right. that's how, why I viewed people as contaminated. It's probably different for every kid, but if mm-hmm. you have some kind of rea- if they have some kind of like bad reaction to something, you're probably right. going to feel uncomfortable talking to them. Right. Something that you viewed as a negative experience, you then didn't like them. 
mm-hmm. it was something you felt that they were being mean to you. Even though maybe they didn't mean it that way, if you felt that, mm-hmm. then they were kind of on your list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we, yeah. I would say it's not impossible, but it's a lot harder. Yeah. But it sounds to me where she likes the therapist. Yeah, I think that, this is a different... Hope. I think it's a different situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's it for the questions for today. We finished up all the questions that we got. Yep. Of course, continue to send us any questions that you might have. Yeah, we could include um, them in, like, a question segment at some point. Yep, and I know a lot of times you just answer people back Yeah. Um, right away without saving it for a podcast yeah so continue to send the questions we really enjoy getting them it's um just good to have that interaction know that people are listening yeah we love hearing from you guys thank you for listening to out loud the selective mutism podcast make sure you subscribe so that you see our next episode